0: There is a measure of nerves and a measure of stress and a measure of apprehension whenever you stand up here, especially if it's not something that is done often and that's why we need to do it, right? I can firmly say without a doubt that God moves in mysterious and wonderful ways because Todd's song and the words that he sang banished anxiety, banished fear. Because I know that he is good. I know that he is kind. And whatever is here cannot ever replace what we, or whatever we go to can be so much better than what we leave behind. And I have to remember that. And it was a balm to my soul as I stand here in front of you all with such responsibility, with such weight. Some of it I impose on myself. But to be reminded that no matter what, God is good, and to live is Christ, to die is gain. He made sure that that was in place to banish the fear in my heart, to banish the anxiety, and I could not be more thankful to God and thankful to Todd for making this happen. And I cannot be more thankful to you as a church for allowing me to do this today. But that's enough of my little mini soapbox. We'll get into where we're going today. When it comes to evaluating the lives we have in Christ, our faith, meaning our spiritual side and our talk with God and our relationship with God, and our walk, which I separate in two things. Our walk is what we are actively doing. You could call it the fruits of our belief. And when we come to evaluate that on a grand scale, we can have trouble. I have trouble with this. We compare ourselves to those around us sometimes, believer or not. A lot of times for believers, we compare ourselves to other believers. And some other Christians are always doing better Christian things than we are. There's always some other brother that's like, man, that guy, he is always in his scripture. I mean, I can't even pick it up like, like, what, three times a week? He's in every day. There's always someone else that we can try to compare it to. We might feel as if we don't know the standard or don't know whether we are on the right track. We forget the standards of how we should evaluate our lives in Christ, what we are doing for Christ. In these instances where I find myself asking myself those same questions, I find myself turning to the only example, and that is Scripture. And the people who have gone before us that God laid down in divine divine God-breathed Scripture for us to use and examine ourselves, examine God, examine Scripture, and find that God is good. The passage today will be from 2 Timothy 3, 10-17. This is a passage that primarily, well, it is addressed to Timothy. Paul, writing from prison, addresses this letter to Timothy, who he considered nearly a son. And we will dig into that a little bit more later. Timothy is a wonderful example of what a Christian in process looks like. Whereas Paul, we kind of considered why well, he never admitted this and he never said this. We considered Paul to be like the model Christian, right? The man who lived righteously, who did the work, who ran the race and did it well. He never said he was there. He said he had a lot more to go. Timothy we can relate to a little bit more because he is in more of the process. He's in the middle. He is growing. He is where we are, growing closer to Christ. Finding a biblical example can be very beneficial to our faith and point us towards the right path. Finding someone who went before and did that to show us the way forward. And Timothy is an excellent example. To sum up what we're going to discover today, we can observe four mini-lessons over Paul's main message to Timothy in these few verses. Number one, believers must hold on to the Word of God, its teachings and guidance and warnings. Number two, as well as the examples of faithful brothers and sisters gone before through persecution. For number three, in order to take the foundation of Christ laid within them, and for four, move towards sanctification of a soul on fire for Christ relying on God's Word. Let's read this scripture now, 2 Timothy three ten through 17, and see what we're talking about. You, however, meaning Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet for them, all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise through, for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let me read the main point sentence one more time without any of the breaks. Believers must hold on to the Word of God, its teachings and guidance and warnings, as well as the examples of faithful brothers and sisters gone before through persecution, in order to take the foundation of Christ laid within them and move towards sanctification of a soul on fire for Christ, relying on God's word. That's where we're going today, and we're going to break this down. Timothy's ministry journey is a reflection of what proper upbringing, training, and cultivating can do for the kingdom of God. It is an example of when we have raised our children and not perfect ways, for no parent is perfect, but raised our children to know God, to experience God, and hopefully they make the decision that they want to be part of it themselves. Timothy is that man, and he turned into somebody fruitful and beautiful in God's eyes by simply obeying the Word of God. We're going to dig into that and explore that today. Let's dig back through verses 10 and 11 first. Let's read those again. And really pay attention to what he's saying here. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. In this beginning of this passage, he lists the qualities of character That Timothy possesses following the example of Jesus Christ and subsequent faithful believers helps equip us to weather persecution and manifest righteous attributes in our lives, even as God may keep us from eternal harm. That's what Paul's getting at. The passage starts off by immediately setting Timothy apart. You, however, in scripture, however, is a big word. It usually is following a description, an idea, a thought about a certain people or a certain subject, and then the immediate contrast. However, you, this, that is different from this. Drawing contrast between the heretical and false teachers that Paul had warned about previously, just a few verses before. A few verses before this, he was warning Timothy, listen, the world's just going to keep going down deceiving and being deceived, following farther and farther into their own spiral. Let's look back at this real quick. Verses 1 through 9 of chapter 3, just before it, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. And he goes on, The list goes on of these attributes of people. And immediately after this whole mess, he says, you, however. Quick footnote, those people are not beyond God's reach. Paul is not saying that those people are doomed to their descent into evil and madness for the rest of their lives. He can pull them out. But that is God's authority that is going to pull them out of that depth. And they have to reach him before they can come back. Quick footnote. Timothy's character is the opposite. He lives like Jesus matters, as Paul describes in verse 10. All of this started because Timothy, from a very young age, had a proper and firm foothold from his family by which to build on. We say, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. His mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois made sure that he was standing on the solid rock and that he can move forward. But we'll get into that in a second. He remained invested in the surroundings and sufferings of the church. He lists all of these attributes of Paul. Paul lists all the attributes about himself that Timothy has embodied. His joy, his faith, his peace. And they are attributes that we should all seek to, to strive for. And we think about those all the time. How many examples do we have of people in our church or maybe a grandparent or a family member who just has that godly peace that they never seem to be flustered? Now, seem is a big word. Who knows what happens behind closed doors? But when we see them, there's a godly peace that flows out of them. Should we not want to be like that? And we try to be like that. But it doesn't stop there. While we pay attention to those people who seem to have their lives in God's hand right Timothy followed the persecutions of other believers. He faced the hard topics, was aware of the hard things happening, particularly to his dear mentor, Paul. He specifically followed whatever happened to Paul, his beloved mentor, no matter if it was his struggles, blessings, or pains. Timothy did not get comfortable in his home church and live in a bubble. I know of churches and I know of Christians who when their life is going great and it's going exactly what they should, they say, well, it's going great. I'm not letting anything from outside mess with how great this is. We are we're right here. Timothy was not content in living where he was and making sure it was just good. He wanted to know the, his brothers abroad. He wanted to know Paul and the other churches around him were in the same boat or were in a worse boat. It didn't matter. Timothy wanted it to know. He didn't want to focus on just the good things. He wanted to see the struggles around him because it made him stronger. Timothy learned of Paul's first struggles and triumphs through Paul's first missionary journey. The very first, I'll say tour, I don't know why, I kind of think of it as a tour. You know how concerts go from California to New York and have 20 stops along the way. This was Paul, only it was missionaries. He went to each city on his tour and came back to Jerusalem. This was the very first time he did it. Lystra was a stop on that journey. That was Timothy's home city. And if you remember, back in verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. So Timothy's first reaction and entrance to Paul's teaching could have very easily been seeing him endure those sufferings. The biggest lesson Timothy would have learned from Paul would be his acknowledgement of Jesus' rescue. Rescue in Paul's mind, he says right here in verse 10, which persecutions I endured, or 11, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. If he was suffering, that doesn't sound like rescue, does it? But this was not from physical pain. He was nearly stoned to death in Lystra. And yet the Lord rescued him from that. Timothy may have even witnessed Paul's near stoning. He could have easily been in the crowd watching them try to put to death this true believer. And yet this believer tells him from years later... God rescued me from that. Beaten within an inch of your life doesn't seem like rescuing, but the eternal life beyond is what God rescues us to. Think about those around us in our world right now that we think are in a bad place. I say bad because bad's subjective. Some people feel like the world is perfectly good if they have the few little things they have. And to us, it looks like squalor, but to them, they're proud of what they've got. But let's put that aside. Maybe somebody's in a horrible physical ailment. Maybe somebody is in a bad financial state and they are at the bottom. And yet, they can stand up and say, God rescued me from even worse. They can stand up and say, God rescued me from even that. Is that an encouragement we can offer to those that we know in these situations? You can say, listen, our, many of the apostles were in Horrid spots, prisons, beatings, stonings, the whole mess. And a lot of them said, to God be the glory, great things he has done. Can that be an encouragement we offer people. This rescue was from death itself and from unfaithfulness in the struggle, suffering. He didn't rescue him just from the physical death, but he rescued him from unfaithfulness. He rescued him from turning his back on God. Think of the book of Job. How many times did Job have everything stripped from him? And yet he knew that he had not wronged God. And yet even then he was this close to denouncing him. But once again, to God be the glory. He rescued me from eternal death. Paul set an example of what it takes to be a faithful believer, acting on our faith, and Timothy leapt at the chance to be like his example. He saw what Paul did on all of his missionary journeys. He saw what Paul taught him and others around him, and he said, I'm going to do whatever I can to emulate Jesus Christ, and he is a fantastic example. Let's not get this twisted right here. Paul is not asking us to imitate him directly. He's not asking us to be like Paul. If you're going to be a Christian, be like Paul. Paul's the one you model. Paul's the one you follow. Paul's the one you pay attention to. No, 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 no. The very first thing Paul said is, look to Christ Jesus. Everything I have and I am is Christ Jesus. If anything's good about me, it's because Christ Jesus is good. If you have any cause to follow me, follow him first. So when Timothy set out to be like his dear mentor, like his brother in Christ, he was seeking to follow Jesus Christ. And Paul just happened to be a fantastic example. What an encouragement to us to find someone like that around us. You may not even know them. In this day and age of technology and whatnot, you can find a pastor on the other side of the world who just has their heart right and listen and hear what they're saying and embody that But even more so, find somebody you can talk to in person. Find somebody you can look in the eye. I could go over a a list after list of people that I consider Christian models, but I digress. Let's dig in this point number two real quick. This is verses 12 through 13. Let's read these together one more time. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's not a cheery one, is it? That's not a verse that we like hearing. But it's true. Remember what Jesus told His people. If they hated you, it's because they hated me first. If they despise you, it's because they despised me first. So guess what, pal? If you're going to love me and obey me and be near me, they're not going to like you. And that's just a fact. We will be persecuted. Verse 12 is a clear and direct call towards a godly life. This may be a hard pill to swallow, and it was for me. If we cannot call to mind any times where direct opposition to the gospel has been faced by ourselves personally, it may be wise to reevaluate just how invested we are in Christ's gospel. The fact is we're going to be persecuted. And if you've not seen any persecution, maybe the investment isn't deep enough. And that's something I've had to check myself on. And that's something I believe God and Paul and Timothy are checking us on right now. It's back to Timothy's bubble. He didn't want to live in the bubble where everything was good and nobody was after him. He wanted to be involved and at least know of the world around him where other brothers in Christ were being stoned and put in prison and beat because of their faith. If We we will be opposed if we are performing the task of God laid before us. How I, I'll go personal for a bit. This sermon... As with every sermon, the devil really, really tries to make this not happen. I mean, he is working his little heart out trying to make sure that this doesn't go on. And I know it's for Peter. I know it's for whoever's up here. I know it's for every Bible-believing Christian. He is fighting so hard to make sure this does not happen. And he will use other people to oppose us. How many times have you been having a really good day? Maybe you paid for the person behind you in a drive-through. Maybe you have felt gracious and God's grace upon you that day, and you get to co- get to work, and that one, one, one coworker that you know causes trouble decides to make you their target for that day, and you feel all that grace and peace just go, and just come crashing down. And you're like, why? I was having a fantastic day. I had no trouble. I was good. I felt good. I got breakfast. I got my coffee. I'm ready. And this one person comes and ruins it. We have to remind ourselves that that grace of God is unchanging. Never does it depend on the actions of another person that the devil is using against us. God's grace remains the same regardless. All of the work of God's will will advance as evil and crooked people hiding in the world descend further into their own evil. Look at this again. Deceiving and being deceived in verse 13. Consider what that persecution may look like today truly. I'll be real with y'all. In a lot of other countries... Right now, where the Taliban has taken over, Christians are being imprisoned and put to death daily for their faith. And we are sitting over here in our comfy, air-conditioned church and taking for granted the blessings God has laid before us. But we still face persecution. We still face opposition. So what does that look like? We went over the co-worker. What about a mom? How many moms feel like they were mom-shamed for a choice they did with their kid? Maybe it was something that looked perfectly normal in a grocery store to you, but that one mom just had to make sure that you knew she was disapproving. She had to make sure you knew that you weren't doing right by your kid. did not that get under your skin? You don't know why. Maybe you're sitting around a lunchroom table or a kid in a locker room and they are all talking bad about this one person in the, in the team or one person in the class and you just stay out of it as a kid you stay out of it and say listen i don't i don't think that i don't think that's true i'm not going to talk about it and then they get after you for not joining in and they're bullying doesn't that seem backwards you're getting bullied because you're not a bully Think about how that may work with a child. Think about one more example. Say you're around that coworker table again, and all of your coworkers are pro-choice on abortion, and you have the courage to stand and say, "You know what? A life is God's life. A life belongs to Him alone." And that might put you in a bad spot. If not for a week, if not for a month, if not for a year, you might made a, you might have made an enemy for life but you stood your ground because they will descend further and further, deceiving and being deceived. And we have to rely on the examples and the scriptures to hold us up. Somebody might be in your life that is going through some of these persecutions that there might not be telling you Or maybe you've seen, and sometimes we say nothing about. Now, that gets a tricky wicket. We see somebody else going through what we think is a persecution. Do we ask them? Do we say, hey, are you okay? Do we stay out of it because they can handle it? Are you at that level of relationship? Say it's a coworker. But we are called to be bold in our faith. What's the worst they can do? They can say, no, I I don't need to talk about it right now. I'm good. Thank you. Or even if they get mad. Is that level of persecution anywhere close to our brothers and sisters across the world who might have got a gun stock butted right in their face? Think about that. It makes our task so much easier. But we're so comfortable. I'm so comfortable. Peter called me out on this a while ago. Where is the movement forward? For all of us, for himself, for me, there should be a constant step towards God. And if you're standing still, you're not moving towards him. I was standing still. He will call us to move forward. Let's continue one more time in verses 14 and 15. Read those together with me. But, every time you hear the word but in Scripture, it's a big deal. That contraction is huge. But as for you, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Christians must continue in what we know is right in God's eyes, trusting the righteous brothers and sisters who taught us taking the only truth of Scripture through our entire lives as it is the only means of wisdom through Jesus Christ our Savior. How did Timothy hold up? How did Paul hold up? How did any of these people who have went through such persecution stand in their faith? How did people who never went through hard persecution maintain the daily of being the righteous Christian, the godly Christian? Footnote again, there is no perfect Christian. There is no complete Christian until we get to the kingdom of heaven. So even these models of Christianity have more to go. We always have more to go. Timothy is in the process of becoming more like Christ as we who all, as all we who believe are. He is working towards sanctification. That's how. It's the journey. How many people have you heard that are saying you went on a road trip to see Mount Rushmore or something? You finally get there after all that time to Mount Rushmore, and it's underwhelming. And you're like, yeah, that's cool, but like, it's not what the movies made it seem like, right? And you realize the journey was where the magic happened, the walking towards good news about Christ. The journey's where the magic happens, and the destination is entirely worth it. There is no underwhelming. But we are now in the journey, and the journey's where the magic happens. That's where we grow. I'll tell you right now, being out of college, I miss learning. I miss sitting around a group of peers and talking about things that mattered, critically, academically, thinking through it on a deeper level. I miss that. I miss growing myself and my thought and my journey. I don't like sitting here with just what I know and leaving it at that. I want to know more. Timothy did not rest until he could follow Paul's example and the example of Christ Jesus fully. And he knew that he wasn't going to be perfect and he knew it was going to be a challenge. But he tried anyway. And that is the magic. Paul has no doubt in his mind that Timothy believes truly and wholeheartedly. Look at this again. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. There's no doubt in his mind that Timothy is firm in his belief, which is a big deal. Paul's not afraid to call a church out. How many of these letters did he say, listen, y'all dropped the ball bad. Let's get this and go. Let's pick it up and go. Tim, Tim, or Paul's not going to sugarcoat it out of a love or a respect for Timothy. If Timothy had been in the wrong, he'd have called him out. But he has firmly believed, knowing from where he has learned it. Paul calls to attention who he has learned it from and reminds Timothy to remember and count on those people. Look at verse 14 again knowing from whom you have learned it. Now, who did he learn it from? This is a beautiful example and one that we don't see as often. Those people in this instance were his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. Remember, I mentioned them earlier. He calls them specifically. Let's go back and look at this real quick, just to be clear. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. That's 2 Timothy 1, 4, and 5. The faith that dwelled in his grandmother Eunice and his mother Lois. They had it instilled in them so they could instill it in Timothy. These were two women of the gospel who led Timothy closer to Christ. For our churches today, it is very important to remember that many women have helped lay foundations for firm and fruitful faith and continue to do so today. Parenting takes two, right? For it to function well and completely, it takes two. There have been many single parents who have raised wonderful, godly children, but boy, it would have been a lot easier if there had been two of them. Amen? We want to see that both sides of the picture are raising a child to be like they ought to. To raising a child to be in the Scriptures. Timothy is also one of these people. Remembering who you have learned it from. He knew Timothy for years before he wrote this letter. And he, once again, was constantly learning under Paul's other letters. All of Paul's other letters were listed and written and read by Timothy. So throughout his whole life, he was learning from his parents, his grandmother, and now Paul going forward. The faith Timothy calls upon began in his childhood, where he was introduced to Scripture and remained acquainted with it all his life. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with these sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. That's verse 15. So it took time, right? That's another thing we really have a problem with in America is patience. Patience is a dying thing, at least in my mind. There may be many of you who have a great deal in measure of patience, and to you, bless you, (laughs) because there are so many of us who get impatient over so many things. But any parent will tell you that parenting is not one of them where impatience is going to get you anywhere. That child will keep going and keep going. Being patient is what's going to guide them through. Being patient with scripture and patient with ourselves. I rarely have patience for my mistakes. I make a mistake or I think I make a mistake and I chalk it up, I'm done. Might as well go to the house, might as well quit. And that is such a negative attitude within my own life, that God is working with me through. I have to have patience and grace with myself to grow closer to God. Just as Timothy and Paul, Paul started in a blinding beam of light and was blind for three days. Do you think Paul would have loved to have sped up that process and got his eyes back sooner? He had to have patience to see what God was going to do. As soon as we put God on a timetable, He changes the time. A, God has no concept of time, which is still mind-boggling to us, but we can get into that another day. It was continued by Paul and many, many others who took the time to disciple faithfully. It takes time. Missionary journeys, outreach efforts, It's not a one and done thing. Discipleship is not a one and done thing. We like to say we're laying the seeds, and we are. We are laying the seeds for someone else to come and germinate, right? We are often that someone else as well. The someone else is God Almighty, the King of all kings. He's the only one who's going to germinate and grow and save those who He has called. But we are the farmers. We plant the seed and we reap the harvest. We cannot wait. For someone else to invest the time. In addition to our impatience, our time. Listen, if anybody tries to tell you that something is more important than their time, they are wrong. I know so many people who would drop everything for their time. If you infringe with that time, you might as well back up. Don't be messing with people's time. But this is what Timothy had to have to grow into the Christian he became. There was time in his life, time spent investing in him, time discipling him. His grandmother and mother and family made sure they did what what they could to set Timothy on the right track. They laid the foundation. A caution I don't want to, or a caution I would like to pose to all of us, is that you cannot force somebody into Christianity. You cannot force your child into Christianity. You cannot make sure they're at every Sunday school, every church meeting, every prayer meeting, every single function. You cannot read their Bible every night and guarantee that they are going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by your own hands. It's not possible. A parent cannot do that. We can try, but God is the one who saves and God will call them in his time. That's the reverse. We can't have an expected outcome and then when we don't get that expected outcome, get mad at God. My timetable, God says. My life. They are my life and I will bring them when I need them or when they're ready. And no parent or grandparent is going to change that. Now, that being said, the foundation is so important. I would not be where I was I would not be the person I was if those two had not laid the foundation they did. Period. And whether you realize it or not, where you are today, good, bad, ugly, or otherwise, started by your parents laying that foundation. And some of you may be able to go back and point and say, yeah, that's where my foundation got a little crack in it. I know the moment. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was somebody else. And that's where my foundation got a little hole in it. That's where it got a little shaky. Or maybe some of you can look back and say, that thing is built like a concrete truck. Like, it's not going anywhere. And I know who did it. I know it was these two people in my family who instilled that in me, and I can stand on that now. It's so very important. Those writings, those sacred writings, bring wisdom to Timothy, and all of us through Jesus Christ our King. The the sacred writings are the Word of God. It is the Word of God. This right here. I remember when I was 14 or 15, somebody asked me, what is Scripture? What is the Bible? And I remember saying, it's like a a, a textbook, like a manual. It's like, this is how you live a solid, godly life. In a sense, yes, that's right. It's a textbook, a manual, but it is a live. It is breathing and moving. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ represented this, and He lives in this. I cannot forget that this is more than just words on a page. It is life-giving and powerful. It can lead to the knowledge of truth, as in verse 225. Let's read here, 24 and 25. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. That is 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. As well as it might bring their readers to faith, as in James 1.18 and 1 Peter 1.23. It is the means by which we can raise a child in God's image, or we can disciple someone in God's image, or we can take a grown adult who has never known God and say, this is who he's calling you to be even now. It's not too late. Timothy represents the whole cycle. He represents a proper raising, a discipleship by a knowledgeable and trustworthy leader and a fellowship of believers who held Him up. It takes it all. You've heard the phrase a hundred times, it takes a village to raise a child, right? My village is sitting right here for the most part. It truly is. Now there have been many who have gone on before this moment, but most of my village is sitting here. And it allowed me to be who I am. This directly contrasts the effects of prior false teaching, which Timothy strains away from. Those awful nasty traits were offset by that. Does that mean Timothy doesn't have any of them? No. Does that mean Paul doesn't have any of them? No. What it means is this, the power of God, is so much more powerful to equip us for eternal life than this is the hatred and the jealousy and the love of money. God will always be more powerful. Let's get into our last section today, verses 16 and 17. Before we get into this, 16 and 17 consist of one of the most clear, direct, and understandable descriptions of God's Word, the Gospel Scripture as a whole. Let's read this together. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Attempting to let that be. That's so self-explanatory. What else more could we say about this? The only thing is digging into what that means today and means to us now. And that's something that everyone does. What does that mean to your soul right now? Does it empower you? Does it change you? Does it move you? Does it make you? your life worth it. Because that's what he's saying here. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is worthy to sanctify our souls and give us the means to live godly lives by providing teaching, reproof, correction, and training in the ways of our King. Bringing us into a saving grace and knowledge of God, leading to an equipped Christian for the good work. It's powerful and beautiful. Let's dig into that. Right from the start, all of God's Word is breathed out by Himself. And the implication is that it is all true. God breathed means it brings life. Just as His breath brought Adam life. Think of it in the same way. He breathed Adam. And His life became real. He became firm. He became grounded in this world. How could we say that the exact effect didn't happen when he breathed life into Scripture? It's not a textbook. It's a manual. It's living. It's Jesus. It's God. It's the whole thing. All Scripture is breathed out by God, just as Adam was. It's all the divine Word of God, and it cannot be refuted. It stands on its own two feet. It defends itself. I could not defend this till I'm 60 and make a single dent on what it actually can do for itself. It stands on its own two feet. Charles Spurgeon once said this. Scripture is like a lion. Whoever, who has ever heard of defending a lion? Just turn it loose. It will defend itself. A lion needs no protection from physical means. Scripture needs no protection. It defends itself. The Scripture profits every process of discipleship and sanctification. In fact, it is the means by which we move towards sanctification. It teaches us the way we are to behave, to think, to feel, to act. That's the very first thing. Profitable for teaching. Reproof means it lets us know when we have been disappointing. It lets us know when we are to blame and need to be called out. That is reproof, And that is the hard pill to swallow. Because we don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it when somebody says, "Listen, pal,, um, your talk ain't matching your walk." And then they may say it just as simply as that. And yet, the devil makes me all riled up and prideful and indignant that how dare could they have called me out. They don't know who I am. They don't know what I'm doing. They don't know what I do behind closed doors. They don't see me praying. They don't see me reading scripture. It doesn't matter. God will use his scripture and the people who follow it faithfully to make sure we know when we need to be corrected. And it's our job to get our hearts in line with that. Now, we don't have to do that alone. It's all here. The means by which we do that is here. It is profitable for reproof. Meaning, profitable for reproof doesn't mean it's just good at reproof. Which it is. But it means it helps us deal with that reproof. It is profitable profitable for that process. You're mad that somebody called you out? Here's the reason to get unmad. Right here. it offers the means of correction as well providing every mindset change we could need and all of the tools to accomplish it we've been taught we need to be we need to be called out now we need to correct it it's sequential and just as i was saying it does all of that it can move us to that correction and do it with peace and kindness and grace. I am so much harder on myself than anyone else on the planet. Period. 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 Whatever y'all think you could say to me, multiply it by a hundred, that's me. All the time. But He is not that way. Scripture is not that way. He is gentle and peaceful and kind. And even in His moments of wrath, His wrath is peaceful and gentle. Because He is all of the above. He is just, and He is righteous, and He will call us out, but He will also do it in a way that we can overcome. Our biggest problems are ourselves. How many times have we been corrected by a fellow believer in a way that just stung us wrong? How many times has a fellow believer seen something legitimate and said, listen, this is something that needs to be talked about, and they do it in a peaceful and God-fearing way? And we just get all riled up about it. Scripture is worthy for that correction. We have to run to it. Pray over it. Run to the Word of God. We can then take that correction and use it to train ourselves, our beliefs, and our lives in order that we do not repeat our mistakes. So you take those three processes and then train ourselves. Rinse and repeat over and over and over. Teach ourselves, be called out, correct it, repeat. That's the training. Training over and over and over. And eventually you look like those model Christians we started with in this very beginning. We look like those believers that we looked up to. You look like the Billy Graham, the Charles Spurgeon. You can. Do you think Charles Spurgeon or Billy Graham had a mistake and then pouted about it for four days before they got back out on the road? Billy Graham, I guarantee you, would have sat there and said, listen, I know I've done wrong. God's word is more powerful. I'm trusting it and I'm moving on. Because the devil would love to keep us in self-hatred. The devil would love to keep us in self-doubt. But this is not what Timothy and Paul were called to do. If anyone had reason to be upset with God, it was Paul. He endured everything what does he say? He rescued me from it all. He rescued me. He had his heart in the right spot. All of this is so that the man of God, in this case, primarily Timothy, can be a complete Christian one day standing before God. There's a twofold meaning here. A, this is primarily to Timothy. The message is for him. The message is directly relating to his life. But it also applies to all of us. Man, woman, child, doesn't matter. We are moving to stand completed before God on the day we go home. Whether he comes back down or we go to meet him. That is our completion date. That is when we make it. That is when we are the perfect Christian. Because there is only God. And it's beautiful. This process is our ministry, our lives and our goal. We will finish the task upon standing beside our Maker in Heaven. That is our sanctification, our completion in Heaven. We can perform every good work by holding on to the Scriptures, the foundations and the faith of Paul and Timothy and clinging ever more tightly to our God as he makes all things possible. While this letter was to Timothy in addressing his pastorate ministry, it addresses each one of our souls. Because Scripture is profitable for all teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It got Timothy where he was. It got Paul where he was. Paul was just looking at it wrong for most of his life. And when he got his brain switched around, he became what we know of as Paul. And it's beautiful. While this last address is primarily to Timothy, it also applies to our church as we move towards godly lives. It absolutely applies to us. And that is the direct reality of all Scripture being profitable for all these things listed. There is no place you can go in Scripture that would give you a bad word or a bad We just have to understand it better. The scripture God breathed life into that takes our breath away and lights our souls is all good, all powerful, and all necessary. We would not have the means to know our Lord's intent if not for His word. His word ignited the heart of Timothy's family and then Paul and then Timothy. The example they set is worthy of all study and education. Scripture is the means by which we light our lives and the means by which we can accomplish what we're asked to do. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example here and the pursuit of Him led Paul and Timothy into being the men of God they were called to be. Let's summarize this whole mess up. God is good all the time. You've summed up what made Timothy Timothy and what made Paul Paul. God is good. The examples here that we can look to of other Christians who have fought the fight in the same way the only real example is Jesus Christ, period. The end and the story. Because he was the only one that was born and died a sinless human. God and man. So Timothy and Paul would both tell you before anything, if we walked up to Timothy and said, I want to be just like you. I want to be everything like you. I want to look like you and talk like you and sound like you. they go, stop, 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 stop. Look at God. Be like him. Paul, for sure, he's done it. You can find countless places in Scripture. He says, "What does he say? I, no one is more qualified than I to be the godly teacher, but I am at the bottom of the barrel compared to God and His gracious and His glory, graciousness and His glory." Wherever we go through this week, wherever we go, where we feel that we are trapped in the rut. Trapped in not knowing where we stand with God. Not knowing whether we are doing the right thing. Not knowing whether we're doing enough. Look to the examples in Scripture. Look to Timothy. Look to Paul. Look to Christ Jesus. And then ask yourself, am I doing enough for the kingdom of God? Ask yourself, is there correction I need to have? Just as Paul was corrected. Just as Timothy was corrected. How do we react when someone tries to act on God's obedience and correct us? How does that look if it's done correctly in a God-fearing and gracious way? Timothy was able to stand as firm as he did because the people in his life took the time and discipled him. Are there people in your lives that you know you should be spending more time around? You know you should be out having more God talks with. You know is this close. And you're just waiting for God to swoop in and pull him out. Maybe it's the one word you say that God was waiting to use because it was that person's time. Timothy is an example that we should all try to emulate, and Paul is an example, but all of them emulate God and Jesus Christ Almighty. Don't forget that this week. And if you need an example, run to Timothy. Run to Paul. And they will show you that the example is Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do. We thank you for everything that you can and will be for us. The only reason we can stand here is because of you the persecution God faced the persecution we face God has already faced and beaten He took every point of sin on him and banished it gone No matter what we face we can stand like Paul and Timothy and say you are who we want to be We can never be God but we want to be just like him as much as we can And one day we will stand before you and say either my God I'm here complete me, I love you, or say, please let me stay. Don't banish me. Don't send me away. Let me stay. We know that you desire for each one of us to stay in your presence. Guide these people here. Use Timothy's words. Use Paul's words. Use anyone's that have delivered them faithfully and truthfully to bring them close to you. Because you are the only one who saves. You're the only one who makes it possible. And We cannot forget. We love you, our King. No matter what, in each day, in each hour, in each minute in our lives, we're going to take your words with us through this week, through this month, through this year, through our lives and become more like Timothy and Paul so we can be more like Jesus Christ. We love you, our great and powerful God, and we pray all these things in your blessed name. Amen.